Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hard to believe, but you and I have between 60,000 and 70,000 thoughts every day. And here's a crucial question for you. Are most of your thoughts throughout the day positive or negative? I'm certain you'll agree, regrettably, it's the negative thoughts that we tend to hear the loudest, and it's these same negative thoughts that uh, diminish our quality of life, damage our relationships, and keep us trapped in less than optimal circumstances where we don't want to be, and they create behaviors that railroad the best of intentions, topple our confidence, pop up unexpectedly, and so often infect others around us. And... uh, On-the-job negative thinking can increase workplace stress, hijack creativity, diminish productivity, and make it ever harder to get the job done. And the bottom line, you and I can't lead joyful and fulfilled lives up to our full potentials if our inner dialogue routinely points to the dark side, regretting the past or worrying incessantly about the future. Ready for some good news? My guest, mindfulness medication, uh, meditation teacher and certified life coach, Olga Nadrich, points out you and I can stop negative thinking in its track the moment it pops up. And it all starts by asking yourself a simple question. And uh, uh, Olga is uh, here to explain what that question is and how we can take personal control over our thinking rather than letting negative thoughts take control of us. And uh, Olga Nadrich was a successful actress and screenwriter who worked in film, television, and commercials for more than a decade. But during that time, she simultaneously embarked on a two-decade psychological and spiritual journey towards self-awareness and transformation, and she subsequently retired from acting to devote full time to studying the workings of the mind, a multi-year study of disciplines and techniques, and she met some of the world's finest spiritual leaders, including the Dalai Lama, and she's presently a certified life coach, mindfulness meditation teacher, workshop leader, frequent blogger on the Huffington Post, and author of the 2016 book, Says To, How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. Hello, Olga, and we're honored to have you as a guest on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me, Roy. Aura. I think I heard you say Olga, but (laughs) Aura, that's okay. (laughs) So pleased to be here with you. uh, uh, Let's uh, start from the uh, title of the book. What what, uh, precisely is that question, the one question we should ask ourselves the moment we see the negative thoughts popping into our mind? (laughs) That is a very important question to ask yourself. Basically, you're, you're confronting your own negative thought. And it's so important because, as you said, and I talk about in my book, we think 
between approximately 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And we don't think to challenge the ones that we do, in fact, um, pay the closest attention to, which are the negative ones. So really beginning with that very first question, says who, is taking that important step to recognizing and what I call in the book owning those negative thoughts as opposed to pushing them away, denying them, you know, keeping yourself, you know, at the effect of them, if you will. It's saying, I'm ready to question. I'm ready to challenge that negative thought. That's such a good point you make. You neither want to own them, but you can't deny them either. (laughs) They're there. Right. uh, (laughs) Right. Exactly. So I... I consider that a really important very first question. Says who? You are challenging a thought that basically wants to undermine you and sabotage you and bring you down and make you feel pretty crummy about yourself. So until you are ready to say, says who? Who is saying I should believe this thought that I'm telling myself? You know, unless you're willing to do that, you are going to continue to accept those types of thoughts readily. Well, in your book, says who, you uh, tell us that many of our negative thoughts don't originate from within, and if not, where the heck do they come from? (laughs) Another really important question, the second question, have I heard someone say this thought before? So many of the thoughts that we think today in our adult life are thoughts that began many, many years ago, oftentimes in childhood. It's the time that something was said to us. The very first time somebody said that we're not good at this, that we're not lovable, that we're worthless, that we're not going to amount to anything. And when you're young, you're impressionable and you're vulnerable, and you don't challenge, you don't say, says who. You know, you accept what is being said to you, and it it, it leads... you know, imprints you. It creates a very deep impression that unless challenged, which is something we can do at any given time in our lives, which is what says who is about, you do challenge those thoughts in adulthood. You have to, or you will continue to be a slave to them. Yeah, when you think about it, we have such crucial mission when we're around children not to implant negative limitations on them or in any way. Like I was... When I was a camper in Y Camp years and years ago, this guy that I really admired, one of the leaders, joked about how weird my stroke was when I was swimming, and it, it, it was a devastating blow to me. Even though in hindsight, I mean, so what if I didn't swim That's very right. That's <laughs> correctly? Right. But this guy, you know, was my hero, and he dumped on that little small aspect of me, and it, it still it hurt for you. Uh, well, I won't say it, it ruined my adulthood or anything, but, uh, you know, I, I had that negative thing implanted in my mind. that. Uh, but, but that is exactly, your, your example of that is so really what it's about, because I, I work with a lot of clients, and, you know, when we go back into, you know, trying to remember when we heard that very first thing that just felt like someone knocked the wind out of us, yeah. you know, we can remember vividly how that felt the first time we were really hurt or yeah. devastated by something that was said to us that we didn't have the defenses to be able to protect ourselves. And yeah. it's so important to recognize that some of the things that have been said to us, we still hold on to in adulthood. And at yeah. any given time in our lives, in the present moment of now, which is what I talk about is a mindfulness teacher, yeah. you can change that today in the moment of now. This is the real moment that we're living in. We're not living back at, you know, the time when someone said that to us, but we can change that 
at any yeah. given time and transform that thought that turned into a belief about ourselves. Yeah, I wanted to get a little more into the mindfulness uh, and the mindfulness meditation later in the, the uh, discussion, but uh, right now let's, I want to get back to that says who, and uh, it's not just one simple question. You're actually, in your book, you point out it's a method, a series of seven questions that we need to ask ourselves in order to disarm our negative thoughts. Can you briefly run through the uh, each of the seven questions and what uh, what each question is intended to accomplish? I know we don't have of course. Yes, tons I will. of time. Well, we uh, went through the first two, which is says yeah. who, very first important question, because, yeah. you know, again, that's taking that step, that necessary a negative thought that really has had control over me and I'm ready to disarm it, I'm ready to change it, I'm ready to transform it. Yeah. The second question that I just mentioned, have I heard someone say this thought before? Yeah. It's very important to identify who said something to us that we took on as real and yeah. that left such an impression, like the, the example that you uh, said about yourself. Yeah. Uh, third question, one of my favorites, again, these are very simple, straightforward, logical questions, but what yeah. they are intended to do is to stop those negative thoughts right in their tracks so that you can see how illogical it is to continue thinking them. The third question, do I like this thought? (laughs) What is it about a negative thought that you like? I, mean, I don't know how anyone, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's not it's very lovable. Of, I don't know anyone can love you know, a negative thought. But. Yeah, I mean, what is it about your negative thought that you like so well, much? I guess I, a, a negative thought, my house is on fire, would be uh, good to have if you got out of the house. But uh, okay, <laughs> okay, you know, yes. The, the, the positive thought would be, I need to get out of a burning house. Yeah. Do you know, not that I need to stay in a burning house. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to frame it into the moment of what you're experiencing it that's yeah. not a constructive thought a constructive thought would be solution oriented yeah, so do true. I like this thought you know I I think you're really going to be hard put to come up with ways in which you like your negative thought yeah. I like to use this example of a client that I worked with who was really on what I call the hamster wheel of a negative thought that she just kept going over and over again in her mind and I said Art. to her can I ask you a question do you like that thought? And what it does yeah. is, it, again, it stops you in your tracks. And she said to yeah. me, no, I don't like this thought. As a matter of fact, I hate it. Hmm. And I said, okay, why don't you be with that? Just just sit with that. Sit with the fact that you have this thought that you not only don't like, you actually hate. And you're hmm. allowing that thought to really stay in your mind. And you're, you're creating a lot of energy around the thought that you actually hate having. Yeah. So that was very illuminating for her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the fifth, um, excuse me, the fourth question, does this thought make me feel better? Again, a no-brainer. Yeah. What is it about your negative thought that makes you feel better? Does it make you feel better about yourself? Does it make you feel better about your relationship? Does it yeah. make you feel better about the quality of your life? Does it make you feel better about your job? Does it make you feel better <laughs> about waking up in the morning? Right. What Actually, is it about you know, the negative thought? It doesn't make you feel better about a damn thing. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know, and this is really going to expose the negative thought for what it is, and that is that it's negative, and it yeah. doesn't want to support your well-being, period. The fifth question, does this thought work for me? What is it about your negative thought that's working for you? Yeah. Is it working for you to stay negative? Is it working for you to be stuck? 
Is it working for you to feel bad about yourself? Is it working for you to stay the victim? What is it about the negative thought that's working for you? Again, None of those questions are all a definite no. <laughs> they are such a definite no, okay? The sixth question, am I in control of this thought? You know, many people say to me, you know, Aura, when I have this negative thought, oftentimes it's a negative thought that really runs people ragged. It's a thought that they just can't seem to shake off. They'll say to me, I feel like it just takes me over. Like, I feel like I'm possessed by this thought. And I say, you know, it feels that way because you succumb to it. But think about it. This is a thought that you've created in your mind. It's not like someone crawls inside your head and plants it there or moves your thoughts around like furniture. You have this thought that you created. I say in my book, you are the creator and master of your internal dialogue, which creates your reality. Again, take responsibility. Own it. So even though it feels like you're being taken over, you can take charge over that thought because you can decide Yes, I created it, and yes, I can change yeah, it. Yeah, that's so I'm crucial. In the power when it's, it's such an easy out, but it doesn't accomplish anything to say that, you know, it's somebody else's fault. My parents told me when I was young that uh, I was never going to accomplish anything or uh, whatever, and uh, you use that as a crutch throughout your life or uh, as an excuse for not moving forward and uh, being joyful or productive or whatever, and it, it's just such a pointless exercise to go back and use that as a crutch rather than and take that, action yes. to change. And that, crutch, and that crutch keeps you on the hamster wheel. I mean, yeah. think of a hamster just going round and round and round yeah, on that exactly wheel. Right. That's what we do. And also I want to just say that I like to describe that feeling of being in control of a negative thought like if if a trespasser came onto your property you wouldn't just say oh hey come on in help yourself to whatever you want and that negative thoughts are like trespassers so you have to really tell them to to leave you have to say hey negative thought i have no use for you And I am in the power position. I'm in the driver's seat of my thinking mind, and I can change you out. Yeah. I can change you into a positive thought that works favorably for yeah. me. So then yeah. what's the seventh, uh, the final so, question? So basically, when you've answered those six questions that we just went through, and you identify the thought, you, you admit that you don't like it, yeah. you recognize that it doesn't make you feel better, you can't come up with any way in which it works favorably for yeah. you. You're sick and tired of feeling like it's got some control over you. By the time you get to the seventh question, do I want to keep this thought or let it go? Mm. I would think you would have a very definitive, loud <laughs> yes. Yes, Unless you love I'm being ready. miserable. <laughs> yeah, I am ready to let this thought go. Bye-bye. Goodbye, thought. Don't need you. Don't want you anymore. Well, here's an example. Here's a, a very common thought that plagues a lot of us at middle age and beyond. It's the thought, I'm fat. And when we analyze it, this thought may have been expressed by someone else, or it may have popped into our head when we looked in the mirror. Now that we understand why it's there, and what, we, uh, what can we do to dispel it, or at least spur us to action to lose the weight and overcome it? <laughs> You know, that's a, that comes up a lot in my interviews. I even have an area in my book, a section in my book, that talks about why I feel that diets don't work oftentimes because when we have a goal to lose weight, we can't support the very goal that we have because we keep telling ourselves how, how 
fat we are and how unattractive we are and how horrible we are. And let's just say we do something like, you know, don't lose that pound, you know, in in a quick enough time. We berate ourselves and we beat ourselves up. The only way for anything to work, whether it's to get into shape, to lose weight, is to really enter into this process with love and kindness and compassion and to feed ourselves positive reinforcing thoughts that are not I can't, but I can. Not that I'm not worthy. And the action thoughts that I can do this and and how I'm going to do it. That's right. (laughs) And we have to really challenge, you know, look, everybody has the inner critic. To varying degrees, yeah. you know, it's part of the thinking process. It's not like you're never going to have a negative or critical or fear-based thought again. What yeah. says who proposes is how to navigate those waters when they get choppy so that you can keep yourself really maintaining a healthy, wholesome thinking mind that yeah. supports you in the best way possible. Yeah, I like you say when you acknowledge a negative thought, you encourage us to be an observer, not the reactor. And what do you mean by this distinction? How do you become an observer? <laughs> well, if you think of yourself, if let's just say you imagine yourself as there was another you standing next to you, watching you. Yeah. And you're the witness. It's like you're yeah. the observer. It's like you're almost having an overview of what is going on and how you're observing your behavior. Yeah. And when we are quick to react to something, that is that feeling like we're being taken over. But if yeah. you were watching yourself going, you know, into a fit or yeah. really reacting and getting mad, and let's just say you were standing next to yourself as a calm observer, yeah. you would be looking at yourself and saying, wow, I'm really plugged in. I am really, like, mad. I'm yeah. really angry. And then really you'd reactive. ask yourself, am I really helping myself That's right. by being and, so angry? <laughs> right. So observer mode, when you go into observation mode, you can say that to yourself. You could say, when you start to feel the beginnings of that percolating you know, where you're being plugged in and you're feeling like your heart is racing and you're feeling like you're about to just say something to somebody without thinking it through, you know, mindfully, you can say, oh, I'm really, oh, I'm pissed off or, oh, I'm really (laughs) upset right now. Huh, let me take a couple of breaths in and out and, and calm myself down so that I can go into solution mode, so I can go into working with my thinking mind in a productive constructive way yeah like when the jerk cuts you off on the road oh and your reaction is you're very angry but then when you think about it as an observer will it really help you or make a big difference positive on your future if you go out uh, turn around and cut him off or give him the finger or her the finger or whatever exactly (laughs) i use road rage as an example of a thought gone wild yeah (laughs) you know if you think about that someone cuts you off and you go ballistic you know and which could put you and someone else or other people in serious danger well yeah that's even worse but the but the ridiculous thing is the consequence of being cut off is so minor i mean you may lose a few seconds (laughs) that's right and that's why having that inner you know, having that moment to really observe your own tendencies, your own proclivities, your yeah. own knee-jerk reactions. And it's like training the mind. It's taking yeah. that pause. It's taking yeah. that breath. It's being the observer. It's training yourself so that you're not so quick 
to yeah. react to this and that and being yeah. led around like a dog on a leash by your yeah. thoughts. Yeah, that's so true. You know? <laughs> Who's walking who here? Well, as you point out, if negative emotions are dominating our lives, we are either depressed while living in the past or anxious while thinking about the future. It's probably one or the other. And as a cure, you recommend mindfulness as a new way of thinking. And what is mindfulness? I think we touched on it a little bit. Uh, and how do we accomplish mindfulness? That's Well, mindfulness in its challenge. most simple definition is being in the present moment with total awareness, which yeah. an example of that would be you and I are having this conversation. We're here right now. We're yeah. not anywhere else. We're not in what happened an hour ago, and we're not, at least I know I'm not, and I would imagine you're not, thinking about what's going to happen an hour from now. We're in the present moment of now, which is the most real moment that there is, because we're in it, and we're most alive in the present. It's the only one we can really influence right now. (laughs) That's right. So we want to make the best of the moment that we are living in right now. And, you know, we waste thousands and thousands of precious moments of the moment that we're in because we're so busy worrying about a time that isn't here yet, the future, or lamenting or begrudging the past, which is already gone. It's over. Do you know? And I say, you know, we spend an inordinate amount of time in two time frames that don't exist. Again, the past (laughs) and the future, which isn't here, and yet we're so quick to give up the most precious moments which is the moment that we're in right now. That doesn't you know, mean you shouldn't plan for the for future events, but it just to sit and worry about plan. them all the time yes. gets you nowhere. But That's exactly you, true. You can, you can plan certainly use for, the present moment to plan for the future positive, exactly. uh, positive outcome. But, uh, There's nothing wrong with planting or anticipating or, you know, really even thinking about something you're looking forward to, but not enough to spoil, you know, not enough to, you know, oftentimes it's really, yes, we can be excited about the future and what's to come, but most often we spend time worrying about what's to come. Or what might happen. (laughs) Exactly, what might or could happen. You know, these hypotheticals that have, you know, that we give into so quickly. And that, again, you know, that image of being led around like a dog on a leash. Well, just briefly, what is mindfulness meditation? I know you're a teacher of that. And how, how, you know, most people have the time to do that. Or how do you, how do you go about putting yourself into that meditative state where you can really achieve the present moment. Well, mindfulness meditation is a form of meditation about allowing yourself to be present in the moment of now. And, you know, I don't, I I really like to sort of demythicize meditation in some ways, not to undermine it or to, you know, dumb it down, but that a lot of people are not meditators. They're very either intimidated by it or feel that they don't have time to do it. And I encourage people just to find time in your day even if it's for five or ten minutes, where you can just sit quietly somewhere and just close your eyes and take a a couple of deep breaths in and out just to stop all of the activity and all of the distractions in your day. And that is really, again, being in the moment, allowing yourself, gifting yourself to be present without worrying about, again, the future or lamenting about the past. We we need to give ourselves permission to be present. 
I and loved I really on your website where it. you talk about uh, a 10-minute break while you're drinking your coffee in the morning just to uh, appreciate the warmth of the cup and then the, the feel of the coffee or the tea going yes. down your throat. And, yes, thank you, know, you for bringing that up. That's one of my favorite exercises. I wrote a blog for the Huffington Post called Your Morning Cup of Tea or Coffee yeah, can be your, your, your meditation. And that's a lovely way to just be present. Whatever you're doing, whether you're gardening, whether you're drinking a cup of tea or coffee, whether you're taking a walk, there's mindful yeah. walking. Yeah, there's so many that. things that we can do that we're so present that we're actually looking around yeah. and taking in our surroundings or that we're really tasting our food or yeah. tasting the warmth of a, of a warm drink going down. Yeah. Our throats. This is that's mindfulness. That's being very present yeah. with the very thing that you're doing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Let's talk a bit about your book. Uh, how is it, uh, is your book uh, says who different from all the other motivational and self help books out there? Well, how would you uh, say it's primarily distinguished from all those other books? Well, first and foremost, I would say that says who is is. Um, simply because it's my own book that I wrote from my own life experience. So it's yeah. really, you know, unique in that it's based on my own experience. Yeah. And it offers up a method. I don't feel that, I mean, yes, it's great to be inspired. It's great to be lifted up and told that you're great and you're wonderful. But I want to empower people so that they can know how to do that for themselves. I want people to know that they're extraordinary and that they're powerful and they have the ability to change their thinking mind so that it works for them favorably. And the Setsu method is unique. It's original. It's something that I created, and it works. Yeah, that's that's what I like so much about it. You know, we read all these books about power of attraction and all this kind of stuff, but uh, this is a, a, a method you have spelled out that, uh, and you have a work worksheets in there. And uh, there are of, yes, it's a very thank you. Uh, right. It's a very user friendly book, and it is something that you can learn these questions by heart. They're very easy, and I say if you commit to it, it commits to you. It works. Yeah. I mean, I created this method and I use it on myself, and you start to see changes. Pretty rapidly, I've had clients that say to me they've been such a negative person and they're so used to thinking negatively and that they've seen a decline in their negative thoughts because they know what to do when a negative thought comes up. And, you know, or I just want to say I didn't write a book that it's like, oh, let's just think positive all the time and positive (laughs) thoughts will keep on happening. And, yes, I subscribe to the law of attraction, what you think you create, for sure. But what do you do when you're not feeling so positive? What do you do when a negative thought comes up? This is a tool. This is a skill set, this will give you something to work with so that you can stay consistent with knowing how to, again, navigate the waters so that you are in the driver's seat of your thinking yeah. mind. Well, I think uh, you you meet the first, I think, should be the primary uh, requirement of all self-help, self-help authors, and that is that they use the method they they propose other people using themselves. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's for sure. You've got to be held accountable. As I say, thank you for saying that. As I say, you know, in my book I went, you know, walk your thoughts. Yeah. You know, you can walk your talk, but walk yeah. your thoughts. You yeah, know, I, I created sure. this method, and you got to use it. Do you know, if you don't use it, why even bother? 
Well, where best should we go to preview and purchase your book? What's the best place to do that? I think the fastest way is, you know, uh, Amazon.com is great, Barnes & Noble. Amazon books come so quickly. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Amazon. Yeah, um, if you're somebody who's not computer savvy and wants to just order it, you can maybe go to your local bookstore and yeah. ask them to do that for you. You can also go onto my site. Where I have a tab, My Book. You can click onto that. It will take you directly to these book outlets so that you can yeah. order them. My, my website is oranadrich.com. Yeah, that's O-R-A-N-A-D-R-I-C-H, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, and you have a whole bunch of other resources on that. Uh, you conduct worksh- uh, workshops. and uh, I do. Some, uh, I do. I just did a wonderful workshop in Costa Rica at a wonderful wellness retreat called Rhythmia, and I... Oh. I did a workshop called Mastering Your Mind, Transforming Negative and Fear-Based Thoughts, and I'm going to be doing it again. I'm very excited. I'm doing a one-day event of this workshop in Santa Monica here in Los Angeles. If you live in the area or you want to fly in and take it, I would love to have you there. It's going to be very special. Um, Again, it's called Mastering Your Mind, Transforming Negative and Fear-Based Thoughts, and you can go on to, again, my website, oranadrich.com, and click on to that for more information. Uh, My workshops, I will be also doing a a Oranadrich Life Coaching Certification Program at the new Mystic Journey um, event space here in um, Venice, California. Oh. I'm very excited about that. And yeah. I also do uh, an event called Sacred Sundays at Mystic Journey Bookstore where I have you know, thought movers and shift shapers come to be my oh. guests and speak about how to raise consciousness. How are yeah. we all raising consciousness in our lives? So well, again, come uh, to my website. They definitely should go to your website then to uh, find out about those and sign up for those events. Thank you so much, yes. Well, in conclusion, I wrote my first book 10 years ago and have been host of this program for almost five years now. Wonderful. And I pride myself on helping fellow baby boomers and others of middle age to wake up to that joyful, unaccomplishment-filled life that each of us was created to lead. But I must admit, I still battle routinely to drive negative thoughts, regrets of the past, concerns over the future from my mind, and I'm sure all of you out there do, too. And I firmly believe that Aura Nadrich's Says Who method offers a highly practical way to drive out those negative uh, and highly uh, recommend you preview and uh, purchase her book. And thank you so much, Aura, for being with us today. This has been very informative. Thank you so much, Roy, for having me. I really enjoyed being on your show. And, and best of success in, in getting the message out that uh, we don't have to be, uh, you know, we really in, should be in control of our thoughts rather than uh, letting negative thoughts control us because that's not the best way to go. Absolutely. And thank you so much. Have a great Thanks day. Thanks again. You too. Well, like a lot of us in middle age, do you suffer from a painful memories of the past? perhaps some way back to your early childhood. It's also possible that you're frustrated at middle age, not where you'd like to be, held back by fear of failure or hesitant to try something new, and you have a strong feeling that your present frustrations, maybe rocky relationships and lack of self-confidence may be connected somehow to a childhood trauma 
but you're not sure how. Well, here's some good news. My next guest, author Liz Crocker, is here to inform us how writing about our childhood traumas using blunt language and loaded words can help transform our lives in the present for the better. And better yet, studies have shown that writing as therapy strengthens our immune function, lowers blood pressure, and improves memory. And Liz Crocker is here to tell us why. And Liz is co-author of a brand-new book, Transforming Memories, Sharing Spontaneous Writing Using Loaded Words. She's author of two children's books and co-author of Privileged Presence, Personal Stories of Connection in Healthcare, and she's owner of Canada's oldest children's bookstore that she co-founded in 1978, and she and her co-authors, Polly Bunnell and Holly Book, and that's a great name for an author, isn't it, Book? <laughs> they all grew up as daughters of alcoholics, and their book is crammed full of uh, real-life stories on the impact of parental alcoholism and abuse. And hello, Holly Crocker, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. It's great to be with you, and uh, it took a little bit of technology to get us together, but I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> well, the subtitle of your new book, Transforming Memories, is Sharing Spontaneous Writing Using Loaded Words. And let's begin with the basics. What is spontaneous writing, and how does it help trigger a healing journey? Great question. Spontaneous writing is a writing technique. Sometimes, some people may know of it called expressive writing, but the intention is without any forethought, you put pen to paper, either with a prompt or without, and you write for 10 minutes. And the whole idea is to just write without thinking. Don't yeah. think in advance what you're going to do. Just write. A lot of us talk without thinking. <laughs> uh, well, but what's really quite fascinating is, you know, let's say I put my finger on a word in the dictionary and it said uh, rhubarb. Well, yeah. I might think for a while, but what on earth am I going to write about rhubarb? And, you know, who knows what, what I, I would just overthink it. But if I had to start writing right away about rhubarb, it's quite amazing what comes up. And we found as we were getting together to talk about putting together a book of our recollections of children of alcoholics. Yeah. We thought let's let's not think it through too much, but let's find out find make a list of some words that we call trigger words and ultimately called loaded words. Yeah. And let's just pull one out of a bag and and set the time and go. Yeah. And so that's that's what happened. We did this process for over over a better part of a year, hmm. picking words, going away and writing, coming back and sharing with each other, picking more words, so on and so forth. Well, how or why does spontaneous expre or expressive writing, as you mentioned, it sometimes called work? What's the theory on that? I know you cite a couple of uh, theories on why that works to uh, help so many, uh, help us out so much. Um, the the theory behind it includes factors such as um, getting any worry or recollection of trauma or whatever out of you 
and on paper. Yeah, I like the way you is a, out is of your heart and onto the paper. I like that idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it, it is true that, uh, and I think we all know this, even if we have a conflict with somebody and we're not dealing with it, but if we can actually deal with it, put the elephant in the room in the middle of the coffee yeah. table, suddenly the elephant's much smaller. Well, with this kind of spontaneous writing with trigger words or words that evoke profound emotion and and memory the same thing happens you just you you don't even know what you've been thinking or feeling about those memories but if you write them they're out so that's one theory yeah um the other theory is that when we when we sort of write something out it is a way of organizing what some people call the chaos in their minds yeah, and our I, minds I, are often circling around trying to make sense of our lives, and we can't. But when we write it out, suddenly we go, oh, look at that. Yeah, There's I've had experiences at night where I have uh, nightmares about something, and that something keeps floating around in my mind, but I don't know just where it's coming from. And uh, you point that out, that that seems to impact us most in the middle of the night when we're trying to sleep. Or, uh, of course, it could impact you any time of the day, I guess, but... Uh, but but you're right. I think the middle of the night is often, uh, some people call it the night of the dark soul, but the yeah. middle of the night, there's, there's nothing else to distract us except our minds. Yeah. And, you know, I know some people who actually, when that happens, they get up and they actually write. They have a journal oh. by their bed and they, they write and then they That's can see. Good idea. And, uh, of course, then the other element there is if your sleep has been disturbed and you're starting to get some of this... Uh, trauma out on paper, then your sleep improves, and we know that sleep is a precondition for good health. Yes, that's for sure. Well, in your book, Mm -hmm. you offer some tips to healing uh, through spontaneous writing. Can you uh, give us a few of those tips of, uh, you know, how we get started on this exercise and uh, how you do this spontaneous writing? Yeah, the the first thing I would say is... is, uh, tell whatever internal judge you have in your brain to take a holiday. Um, A lot of us don't even begin because we think, oh, well, we're not a writer or I can't spell or, you know, it's amazing the barriers that we put up in our mind. So those voices to go away (laughs) and then just sit down, be comfortable. And, you know, if you have no other tool as a prompt, you can open a dictionary randomly at a page, close your eyes, and put your finger down. <laughs> and in the book, we actually give an example of what happened when uh, the word was carry. Now, mm-hmm. carry doesn't sound like a loaded word in any kind of way, no. but what came out of that writing exercise was pretty profound. Huh. Another thing to do that's a great um, prompt for this kind of writing, uh, many of us have photographs from childhood experiences take any one and it could be a happy photograph it could be of a birthday party or whatever but just start writing about who was in the picture and what was going on that day and what you remember and i think sometimes and maybe i'm just speaking for myself but i don't think we even we don't know what we feel we can't remember but when we start writing something happens the memories uh, the door of those memories gets unlocked, and we go back into the richness of it. Huh. Um, another tip that we have is just describing the your bedroom as a child. 
or describing mm. your house as a child. And oh, just, just you know, even in point form. And what it happens is the the details of the physical space come back to you, and then mm. experiences in that space come out as well. I like how, how you say that uh, you should write continuously for short periods of time on a regular basis, like 10 to 20 minutes every day, and uh, you set aside a time to do that, and uh, you, you sort of uh, have a ritual around writing is one of your suggestions. That makes a lot of sense to me, too. Well, it does make a lot of sense, and, you know, we unconsciously have rituals for all kinds of other things. I Somebody told me the other day that the reason they don't write is because they don't have any time. Yeah. And I just said, okay, let me be just pushed back on you a little bit. How much time do you spend each day checking social media? <laughs> or watching uh, television or whatever. Watching television, exactly. And so, you know, if there is a ritual, then you you basically are creating a new habit. And this is a habit that, as you said at the very beginning, is going to improve your health yeah. it's actually good for you mm-hmm. so if your if your guilty pleasure is to watch some program on television that you don't even want to admit to your friends that you watch uh earn the guilty pleasure by doing 10 minutes of writing before <laughs> that show starts knowing that you've just contributed to your overall yeah. health and then indulge in the guilty pleasure. Yeah, well, that's great. In your book, you have a chapter on loaded words that can spark spontaneous writing. And what do you mean by a loaded word? And can you give us a few examples? I know in your book, I think you have uh, 14 loaded words that you uh, actually have stories that each of you contribute based on that word. I think that's fascinating the way the book's set up. But uh, could you give us a few uh, examples of a loaded word and what, what the loaded words are? I sure can. What happened when we initially got together to pursue this project, we said, what are, what are single words that evoke a memory or evoke an emotion? And we just brainstormed a list of 60-plus a, a words. Wow. And um, so these words included things like sleep, love, <laughs> anger, secrets, <laughs> control, guilt, yeah. blame, yeah. and on and on it went. And yeah. we called them trigger words initially, and then we cleverly called them loaded words to to catch on to the uh, metaphor of alcohol. And then from that big list, we picked ones that we said, okay, let's let's start with these. So the core words, there are 14 core words. You're quite right, and the book includes what each person did in response to those. And they include neglect, gifts, shame, spirituality, surrender, Interestingly enough, even included hope and humor, fear, siblings, and on it goes. And, you know, again, another tip for people who want to try this writing, they can use this list of loaded words, or they can just have as their first writing exercise to just make their own list of words that are evocative. Yeah, like you say, everyone has their own list and a slightly different emphasis of uh, what stirs up um, emotions and memories in their minds. I know. For example, somebody, a a term that might be great for some people is summer holiday. We always think of summer holidays as being lovely, but for some kids, summer holidays were nightmares Hmm. for a collection of reasons. Well, let's talk uh, a bit about about your brand new book, Transforming Memories, that was co-authored with Polly Bunnell and Holly Book. Uh, Who is the book written for? I know that... uh, 
three of you were all three of you were daughters of uh, alcoholic parents. Is your book uh, written solely for adults that were raised by alcoholics, or, or can others benefit also from spontaneous writing? That's that's a great question, and we think that this book is really, in a way for absolutely everyone, depending on what they want. Some people may just want to read, have that sense of a voyeuristic glimpse into other people's lives. Uh, Some people may have had some difficulties in their childhood or early adulthood that have nothing to do with alcohol, but that might have done have to do with um, uh, overbearing parents or... Very permissive parents or drug abuse or violence. And then some people might come to the book because they they don't even remember what I said, you don't even know what you don't know sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and they want to sort of access emotions that they think are there, but they don't even have the language to get to them. And they're interested in this technique because it is simple and profound. Yeah. Well, uh, we, uh, what about fortunate adults like me who grew up in a happy, stable home? We never suffered through a major childhood trauma like an alcoholic parent. But most mm-hmm. of us have stored up our own versions of childhood trauma, and it may seem trivial to others but not to us, like I was cut from a Little League baseball team or, say, my uh, high school boyfriend or girlfriend just broke up with me or, um, you know, it, it could be I failed an important exam or something. At middle age, uh, if we uh, may lack confidence and are pessimistic, uh, would uh, spontaneous writing experience work for us or is it the trauma just not great enough? Oh, and, and again, that's such a great question. No, I would say absolutely. You know, we... Who can who can judge what one person's <laughs> trauma is and one person's water off a duck's back? So I yeah. would say all of those things are worth writing about. And even at one point in the book, we say, and if you only have happy stories, write about those. We need more joy in the world. <laughs> yeah, so sure. go for it. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, where's the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book? Where should we go well, to do that? Well, uh, you can go directly to the publisher's website, uh, which is www.bullpub.com. Yeah. And I believe the the most common um, other web engine is through Amazon. But because I own an independent bookstore, I would urge you to go to your uh, independent bookstore if you're lucky enough to have one in your town and and tell them about it and see if they can order it in but you can certainly go online to the publisher's website and yeah that's the uh, website they should go to to find out more about you and your book then would that be that bull public uh bullpub.com that would be the best place that's easy enough uh, okay, and in conclusion, very few of us are fully satisfied with all aspects of our life experience today or of the direction we're headed in, and it's so easy to pass the buck and to blame our frustrations today on circumstances or events from the past, especially childhood, without in fact having a clear understanding of what happened back then and why there is no good reason the childhood trauma should still be holding us back today. And as Liz Crocker explained, there is growing evidence that by spontaneously writing down facts about traumatic events from our past, we can transfer the weight of these events onto the paper and out of our hearts, as she puts it. And in the words of award-winning author Donna Morrissey, 
We each have moments from our past that jolted us from the innocence of childhood into sometimes unforgiving reality. But as she continues, Liz Crocker and her co-authors do an exceptional job in showing us how to write about these moments and through such writing find meaning and bring healing to old wounds. And having read the book myself, I heartily agree with this assessment, and I recommend you preview and purchase Transforming Memories and seriously examine spontaneous writing as a highly beneficial element of your middle age renewal. And thank you so much, Liz Crocker, for joining us here today. Well, thank you. I look forward to to reading your story someday about being cut from your baseball team. (laughs) It was a political deal. The the, uh, son of the president of Little League wasn't here as good as me, and he got my place. Well, you see, that's that's now a very deep and rich story. I'm totally curious. (laughs) But anyway, tune in next week when our guests will explain why you should fire your retirement planner, and that's you. And that's that's it for today on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 